0: Welcome the Hall of the Universe. Welcome I'm your host, Star Neil deGrasse Tyson. Your, your place in the, the universe where and science talking and about pop culture the Big collide. The hit TV Cold show that portrays scientists right as its main character, but also the giant explosion that gave birth to the so let's do this. Comedic co-host tonight, Jack Nice. My man! How are buddy? Always my How man! Always good to see you. And joining us is my friend and fellow astrophysicist and Star Talks resident geek in chief, Charles Liu! Yeah! All right! He's a professor at the City University of New York on Staten Island. Yes. And you're a fountain of knowledge of all things science and <laughs> pop culture. That is true. And I'm if so. If you glad don't to believe be. me, you, you watch. <laughs> So, we'll be tapping your geek expertise uh, tonight as we discuss the portrayal of science and scientists in the hit TV sitcom, The Big Bang Theory. So, of course, in science, Big Bang Theory describes the origin of the universe. Yes. On TV, Big Bang Theory follows a group of sort of nerdy scientists, and it draws its humor from the science of the universe itself. So, we have a clip from the show to demonstrate this fact. Check it out.
1: How would you determine the ground state of a quantum system with no exact solution? I would guess a wave function and then vary its parameters until I found the lowest energy solution. Hmm. (laughs) Do you know
2: how to integrate x squared times e to the minus x without looking it up?
1: I'd use Feynman's trick differentiate under the integral sign. Yeah,
2: Okay.
0: Charles, yes. did you ever in your life imagine that you would hear the phrase differentiate under the integral sign as the
2: punchline in a sitcom? <laughs> I figure sooner or later, some talented comedy writer would figure it out. No, I wouldn't. No. you're really? would lying. Yeah, no, 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 lie, that's true. Although, lie. Lie, let, let me say this, okay? That show clearly showed its Southern California bias because very few people outside of Caltech call that Feynman's trick. It's usually called Leibniz's rule. Almost everyone in the universe... Well, on Earth, almost everyone on Earth uses it, calls it Leibniz's rule. But there, it was like, I'd use Feynman's trick. Yeah. Nah.
3: I Uh, love
0: geek humor.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So so the main characters of the Big Bang Theory include
0: two physicists, an astrophysicist, a neuroscientist, a microbiologist, and an aerospace engineer. These are the main characters. Sounds like a party. (laughs) 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 Well, the character who was trying to prove his scientific worthiness in that clip as an aerospace engineer, yeah. his character, he's played by Simon Helberg. So I nabbed Simon for a Star Talk interview when I was last out in LA. Right. It was, it was cool. And so I asked him about his own scientific roots. So let's check it out. Do you have any geeky memories as a kid? Science teachers you either loved or hated or. Oh. or Were you picked on? Were you bullied?
1: Uh, Well, those are separate. Not by science teachers, if that's what you're asking. They always were pretty nice to me. Um, But I, I, yeah. There are some
0: bullying teachers occasionally.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's true. I, I, I had a good... The science teachers were always the cool ones. Like, we had one that was, like, definitely... A hippie and had a ponytail, despite not having a lot of hair, and uh, which is maybe that's a science thing. I don't know how he did that. Um,
0: it's the then, last gasp. Yeah, over. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And then he it's better
0: uh, than comb over when you don't true. have a lot of well, hair. Well, yeah,
1: he had to be kind of he had to be cool. So ponytail, despite no hair. I was impressed by science immediately, and then uh, he let us do open book uh tests which i thought was revolutionary act- in the day maybe it was revolutionary. they always they were always the ones that did a little outside the box i had another in seventh grade a really cool uh science teacher uh, so i was very interested in science right off the bat <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the cool thing was he was talking about uh ponytails and Como over yeah, yeah. and that whole deal which brings me to a uh, uh, uh it scares uh, me when you pull out your little three by five card because i i i i i I realized that science hair is a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. Science hair is something.
0: (laughs) Charles. Yes. Do you have, you teach? Yes. Do you have any quirky teaching styles? I use. Open
3: book
2: tests? I give open internet tests. Really? What is the point of higher education today? It's so that you can be better than a search engine, better than the app on your phone. Otherwise, who would want you to be part of their team? So So they can get anybody to run the search engine or So I'm not going to tell someone, hey, tell me on a test, regurgitate a fact like the diameter of a planet Jupiter, okay? I'm not going to do that because you can just look that up. Instead, I'm going to tell you, here's a planet. Here's a certain size of planet. Tell me what you think the center is made of. Tell me what you think how much of it is atmosphere and tell me why. As Abraham Lincoln said, Never memorize
0: anything you can look up on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's 100% true. So create a TV show about... (laughs) You got me. You got me. If you create a TV show about science nerds, you probably should have some science geek street cred yourself. Okay? So not only had I interviewed Simon Helbert, I sat down with co-creator of The Big Bang Theory,
4: Bill Prady, Mm. and I asked him about the origin of the show. Let's check it out. You know, Big Bang starts with uh, Chuck Lorre, who I created the show with, and we began talking about people that I knew in my previous career at, in computer software. And I, I was a programmer and um, in the early days of microcomputers, and we started talking about those people, and Chuck felt that he hadn't seen people like that on television. And I agreed because the, you know, the, for lack of a better word, the, the, the nerd you know kind of character was portrayed in a very homogenized way and i knew from being in that world that this was you know that this was you know this was darwin's finches there's a lot of different kinds of of nerds and geeks and you know and all of that and it's in fact it's a it's a rich kind of community it's a much more tolerant in fact if it weren't rich you couldn't write 10 years of stories. Sure, exploring. sure. But but I knew this from living in the world. And, and um, you know, people people who are, for lack of a better way of saying it, wired a little differently, right. whose who's, who's outlook on the world is a little different. So when we were talking about characters like that and that they weren't depicted on television, and we really wanted to get back to a world of sort of pure intellectual exploration, and we started talking about um, what are those fields. And Chuck and I are both science nerds. And at that point, it was very clear that we'd found exactly what we were looking for in terms of a profession for the characters. Bill, do you realize that if you Google Big Bang Theory,
0: your show comes up first and the creation of the universe comes up second? I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I also had to ask Bill Prady, how does he make sure every episode that he gets the science right? the writers get the science right because they know that if they're trying to put on a science show and they get some of the facts wrong, that we would call their stuff out. Mm. They know this. And so let's see how they deal with this challenge. Check it out.
4: We are the only television show, uh, we, we think in history that employs a physicist on staff. So Dr. David Salzberg of UCLA, uh, is our consulting physicist and he is there, uh, he is, except. So he writes the equations on the, the background. He writes the, he writes the equations on the board, but more than that, he will help us, um, You know, whether sometimes it's a small piece of dialogue and we're just going to say, you know, Sheldon had a bad day at work and what's he complaining about? But sometimes he'll work and we'll really integrate something into a story because we want to say, well, what are the guys working on at work now? What's, What's happening? And Sheldon was working on a graphene problem. A new form of carbon. A new new form. Even, I think, was awarded a Nobel Prize for its discovery. It
0: was later that year. It's it's carbon in a plane, a a flat plane of carbon, yeah.
4: Right. It has all kinds of own properties to it, yeah. It has different properties from other other arrangements of 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 carbon carbon atoms. And it winds up being very useful for things. And uh, uh, two scientists uh, were awarded the Nobel Prize. And in their Nobel Prize acceptance lecture... They played a clip from the Big Bang Theory uh, sh- with Sheldon working on the graphene problem. But this goes back to a thing that we talked about when we started doing Big Bang Theory, which is if we're gonna give them a job, let's have them do the job right. And let's have let's have it be that if somebody is familiar with what they're doing, that it, we're not gonna get it perfect, but let's see the threshold was. Scientists shouldn't throw their shoes at the television. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, up next, we'll check out my own little cameo appearance on The Big Bang Theory when StarTalk American Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City. We're talking about the TV show, The Big Bang Theory. And I asked Big Bang Theory star, Simon Helberg, if he was surprised that a sitcom about scientists would actually work. Let's check it out. When you audition for the show, and you yeah. see the first few scripts, are you saying, okay, this will flop, this will, no one is gonna get this, who uh, cares about scientists?
1: No, I think that I think I no, I did not th- think this I, is way
0: back in oh seven now. This or, is yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I didn't. I didn't think that the show would flop. But I by this point, I I actually had gotten to a very sort of zen place with it where I didn't think much about it. I just assumed. I just it's took. This your next step. gig. I just said I'll do the pilot, and 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 I will be able to do another pilot if this pilot doesn't. Because that was kind of how I lived was. Pilot to pilot, failed pilot to failed pilot. But at this point, I thought, eh, this is it's it's a it's a very very good script, and I will just commit to this week of work. And then, when we shot it, that that was the moment that I realized, oh, this audience, uh, this audience is something kind of spectacular is happening here. Where it that nobody, the hardest thing about shooting a pilot is nobody knows these characters and nobody knows the world, and. Generally, to set up characters in a in a world, you need more than twenty two minutes. It's really really hard to do, and and if you if you don't, if and you the can, world
0: it's the world created in the show, yeah, the universe
1: of the show, exactly. Not yes, and if you can do if you can do it in twenty two minutes, usually you don't get to the joke until the last minute because you have to set it up for so long. Mm-hmm. So it's not funny usually either. And somehow they were with us again from the moment we started. They understood who who these characters were and. When I entered, and Kunal and I entered into it, literally knocking on the door, the audience applauded, applauded us. And it didn't even make sense. We, they didn't know who we were. And it, it was like, I remember someone said, I think Chuck Lorre said, they were so excited that there were more nerds. There were more characters to, to identify with. And I, so there was something in the zeitgeist. Some, there was some hunger to oh, connect. Oh, okay,
0: to interesting connect point. To connect to these people. I because think. usually the nerd is just the one character.
1: Maybe like yeah, historically, maybe there was the, was
0: the one gay character, exactly. the one Asian yeah. character, and they're there for as a token yeah. reference.
1: This part. was like all sidekicks, you know. Right. Like usually, yeah, you get the the door. <laughs> I played sidekicks, a, a nerd. And now here's a show where they're the star, and I think people people related to that. And in the live audience, there the two hundred people that night, they they kind of went crazy. And I, I had a, I had a moment then thinking this show is going to be it's going to be on the air, and I think that people might actually kind of quietly and secretly watch it and and like it because slowly come it. out of their geek closet. Yeah, yeah. It's we, we were never going to be friends. We were never that handsome, so. But then it kind of became that, that anti yeah. or anti friends and some or mm-hmm. or just friends, but with with bad haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Charles. Do, do, <laughs> Do you
0: think fans can identify with geeks more than with sort of good-looking, popular characters on shows like Friends? Of course.
2: We all have our our insecurities. We all see ourselves as different. Even if we are... make ourselves up and strut ourselves around as being popular or or famous or pretty. In the end, we all are human, and we like to see people who are human, right? The best sitcoms are the ones who take the stereotypes, the caricatures, and then slowly but surely show that they are human just like all of us. So they can't
0: be too beautiful, is what you're saying. If they are, they're just not as real. That's right. Well, talk about weird characters. One of the main characters on The Big Bang Theory is a socially awkward theoretical physicist named Sheldon. Sheldon didn't like you
3: and your scene. Now, I don't know if that was real or not, because you... Sh- well, check it out. Check
2: this out. I'm quite familiar with Dr. Tyson. He's responsible for the demotion of Pluto from planetary status. I liked Pluto. <laughs> Ergo, I do not like you. But I actually didn't demote Pluto.
0: That was a vote of the International Astronomical Union.
2: If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Think about that, Dr. Tyson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, actually, I did go home and think about it deeply. Okay. I will offer a reflection on that exchange now. Okay, please do. Sheldon, get over it. Pluto <laughs> <laughs> had it coming.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, up next, we'll take your questions about the real Big Bang Theory when Star Talk returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Star Talk. We're talking about the Big Bang Theory, a sitcom named after the origin of the universe itself. An actor, Simon Helberg, plays an aerospace engineer on the show, but in real life. He had a question for me about the real Big Bang. Let's check it out.
1: Okay, I'm sure you can answer this really quickly. But, uh, and I know there are theories about the the moments before the the Big Bang, not the pilot. (laughs) Moments before the Big Bang Theory pilot, I was on a show called Studio 60. I'll answer that question. (laughs) No, moments before the actual Big Bang. What can I, is there a way to intellectually wrap my mind around what was going on before the Big Bang?
0: We've tried. Okay and the best discussions today, which have cogent arguments for why we should think this, is that our universe is part of a multiverse. Yes. And if you're part of a multiverse, you can step back in a higher dimension and say, oh, here's the universe that that Simon Helberg and Neil Tyson are in. Mm-hmm. And that just expanded, it just began right there. That's its Big Bang, right? and then it expands, and then comes the TV show Big Bang Theory, and yes. that's that universe. Here's another universe, began a little later, another one began a little earlier. Some universes don't expand forever, they might collapse. Some have slightly different laws of physics, life does not begin in those. Right. Some might have even better laws of physics for a more interesting form of life than perhaps what formed in ours. Right. And so maybe, the multiverse complex is what's eternal. Okay. And that doesn't have a beginning. Or
1: maybe. Doesn't it, have a beginning. Or maybe it does, but it is what spawned our universe. But what's the beginning, the very beginning? Doesn't that just, when you think about it, don't, don't your eyes just cross and you just yeah, it, go to sleep?
0: It's a, it's, a, it's a philosophical, intellectual, and scientific frontier. Yeah. And plus the universe never makes anything in ones. We thought Earth was special, no, it's one of eight planets. Right. Uh, the, oh. sun, the sun is special, no, it's one of 100 billion suns. The galaxy, you no, know, one of 100 billion galaxies. These are discoveries right. over the centuries. Right. But we have the universe, Right. why would it only be one? Right. Let it be many, and yeah. that would be just the next in the sequence wow. of learning.
1: Rules of three in comedy, I guess the universe <laughs> is the funniest of them all, like you said, <laughs> sense of humor. But any more than three universes is not funny. <laughs>
0: I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll
1: be sure to let yes, them. Yes, please.
0: <laughs> well, joining us now to help us get into the science of the actual Big Bang is theoretical physicist Jan Levin. Jana,
5: welcome back.
0: You're a professor at Barnard College at Columbia University. So how would you describe the Big Bang?
5: Well, I, I think it... How would you
0: grade my answer? There?
5: I thought your answer was excellent, actually. So the idea of a scientific notion of the origin of the universe, we know dates back not to Einstein himself, actually, but to people who were trying to solve his equations and realized that it was the universe was really unstable to expanding. Unstable now, to
0: expanding, meaning... Yeah, it, the universe it's going to is do that all by itself.
5: Yeah, it just it's really hard to stop it. And if you run the movie backwards, there's this inevitable implication that everything was closer together. The entire universe was closer together, and as you imagine going further back in that movie, there must be, have been this catastrophically high-energy event. Uh, there's no other alternative.
0: Okay, now he asked what was around before then. Where, do you, right. where, do, you come, where so, do you land on that?
5: So I think if you start to say, how long was it before the Big Bang... Where were you standing when you were waiting for the Big Bang to happen? Then you're talking about space-time, and then you're talking about the universe. So if there was a where and when and a place before the Big Bang, it was part of a universe, it was part of a space-time. And that was what you alluded to, the idea that really our Big Bang is like, A ginger root that was blown off of a larger space-time. That's beautiful. Yeah, and and that it's just like a series of these ginger roots. But you also have to remember, because of the relativity of space and time, that when we look back at the Big Bang as being an origin in time, that for somewhere else in the space-time, that might be a direction in space. So it's not easy to say that plume happened before this plume or that Big Bang happened before this bang. I think we, it becomes a much more abstract proposition that we're just part of this stranger ecosystem. But I appreciate the question, which is, aren't we sort of punting? Where did that come from? Right. right where right. did the original plume root come even from? For,
0: even for the multiverse.
5: That's right. right. Or has it, right. W- are we back to Einstein's intuition, which was that it was always there, and maybe in some sense there's always been a space-time, and it's just our little... Our little plume—that's so, so. How do you, you get
0: across calling. the concept of something that might not have had a beginning? That freaks people out.
5: Yeah, I mean. I, I remember when I was a kid. Both are freaky. The idea that the universe has a beginning—it requires a lot of yeah, I guess explanation. They're both weird. and the idea—they're both weird. Yeah, yeah right? right when you, all your options are weird, you know, <laughs> it's like pick and choose, I'm, grab I'm one. i in
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember, I'm old enough to remember yeah. the Kennedy assassination yeah. and his funeral at, at Arlington Cemetery in, in, in Virginia. And they had this flame, mm-hmm. and it was called the Eternal Flame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and I, how old am I? I'm like five years old. And I like, Eternal? Whoa. What does that even mean? But then I got all geeky on it. I said, don't they have to put fuel in it?
5: <laughs> oh, you started early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only there was Twitter back no, but, then. But yeah. it was
0: the concept of something that was not finite. Yeah. That It was my first encounter with the non-finite. Yeah. And so the Big Bang is all about the non-finite. you got to live in that. Yeah. Uh, so Charles, you, how do you teach the Big Bang? Any differently from uh, Jana?
2: What I like to convey to my students is that we have to stop thinking of time as this one thing that we're all stuck on. Mm-hmm. each universe or subuniverse or multiverse has multiple directions in time. Just as we can think of left, right, up, down, forward, backward, we can think of time as going forward and backward, but it'll be different times in different parts of the multiverse if it exists. Okay, I'm more confused now then. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it starts getting confusing, but then it starts making more sense if you start realizing that you don't think of time as this thing where something has to be before it, Something has to be in the present, and something has to be after it. That's okay, only you, true in our universe. You are invoking wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey, wimey <laughs> not No, I'm, I'm actually invoking string theory. <laughs> okay. When we go to 11 dimensions, some sort of supersymmetric bulk, you can think of... Universes or versions of universes with more than one time dimension or different time dimensions altogether. So our universe only began when time began in our universe. It started to tick. Ch- so Janna, what's I'm... he talking? He
0: says more than one time
2: dimension. I can't wrap my head around yeah, that.
5: Yeah, I mean that that that. I mean, I think the idea of there being extra spatial dimensions in general is really what string theory foists on us. But it's not specific only to string theory. I mean, as soon as we started talking about space-time. People in 1915, 1920 were asking, why three? Why three dimensions? Excellent point. Yeah, it's not... It's, it's why
0: not six or
3: ten Why not or six anything? or
5: ten? So that became a question. That became a scientific question you could ask, which is So climatic.
3: why not turn it up why to three 11? Why three dimensions? The first So crank it up to 11.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 11
0: all the way.
3: Crank it up to 11. The That's first all
0: I'm compl- saying. <laughs> so, so, Janet, how do, you, how do you communicate what was around before anything was around?
5: Well, I think this is exactly the question that if you're asked, if you're saying before, you're making a temporal comparison,
0: and there had to be a space-time and so to enable that.
5: Either uh, you know the the kind of classic response is if you're on the Earth and you want to go north of the North Pole, you go south. Right? So you, if you're sticking to the Earth, if you're sticking to that constraint, you go, so there is nothing north of the North Pole. The question's poorly phrased. But I don't think we think like that anymore. So we can't say what's before the Big Bang. The question is poorly phrased if our universe is the only universe. Gotcha. But if okay. it's not in the sense that you're describing of the multiverse, then we can say, oh, there is a space and a time prior. But it, it, you know, they might not look... At the Big Bang as being in the future. They might look at it as being in a spatial direction. I love it
0: that our feeble existence in this universe prevents us from possibly even knowing how to ask the right questions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> our Star Talk fans have their own questions about the science of the Big Bang, which takes us to the fan favorite section of Star Talk called Cosmic Queries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, Chuck, you got the question. Go for Here it. Here we go. This is Tim
3: Kami on Instagram who says, what exploded, and what did it explode into? Janet Yeah, so this what is a exploded? classic
5: question. Well, let me start with the second part because okay. so when a star explodes, we can point to the center of the explosion and we watch the material plow out like a snow plow. and so there's a the center of the explosion, and you can clearly see it that is not. Our model of the Big Bang. There was no center. Every place in the universe, as far away as we can see, was once the center, as were we. There so it's it's not the explosion of something in space-time. It is sort of the eruption of space-time itself being created in that moment and stretching.
3: Tim just answered that. <laughs> I don't what? know what you're talk dark- about. No, 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 it was good.
5: <laughs> no, that was a
0: beautiful
3: explanation, actually. That, you know, that was beautiful. I, one, it was very eloquent.
5: One thing that I really like to think of sometimes is, like, if you made a map of the universe... And you just imagined focusing on the legend. And the legend, the map was static. You know, It was telling you the distance between us and Andromeda, the distance between us and a different galaxy. And the legend is, is telling you that that distance is increasing over time, the universe is expanding. If we run it backwards, every single point in space gets closer and closer together. To, right. But it's only happening at the level of the legend. Right. So nowhere on that map, imagine it's infinite, and you slide it around. Nowhere on that map can you point to the center. It's just that every place collapses to nothing.
3: Mm. Very cool. All right, Jacob Casey from Buffalo, New York says, what are some questions about the Big Bang that we hope to answer with the new James Webb Space
2: Charles. Telescope? Charles. James Webb allows us to see literally to the beginning of the formation of stars and galaxies in our universe. Mm. So, whereas... It's tuned for that. Yeah, we are. Des- it's designed so that we can see the era when matter is first coming together and shining light through the universe that we can observe. So those questions that can be answered by figuring out the origins of structure of the universe, stars, galaxies, planets, eventually people, that's what James Webb is going to try to address.
0: And also in, later ye- in the later years, because it took a long time to design and build and it's not even launched yet, that uh, they've added other kind of objectives for it, including looking deep into gas clouds to explore the formation of stars and planets themselves.
5: And possibly the formation of the supermassive black holes. which would Oh, be in the centers super... of galaxies, yeah. yes. Yeah, why are they these black holes that are yeah. four million times the mass of the sun, a billion times the mass of the sun? Just lurking how? in how? the middle of every yeah. galaxy
0: we've ever had yeah. the opportunity to see.
5: Right, they're basically sculpting the universe on the largest scales, and yeah. that was not at all foreseen. So right. where do they come from, and how are they influencing... The the formation of the entire large landscape of the cool. universe.
3: Sweet. Chuck, keep it coming. All right, here we go. Uh, I'm was was supposed was to from, hit the bell. Uh, <laughs> this from Starfish Skies on Instagram says, "What color was the Big Bang?" Ooh. Was it the color of love? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jan, what color was the well, Big
3: Bang?
5: It's interesting that well, I would say blue. presumably. I, oh, see, I would have said white, which is all colors.
0: No, but it would be very reptilian. hot. It
5: would be very hot going through true. all colors. So that's then you get true. blue. Yeah. But, but so there is an interesting question about about when it was right in the optical that we could actually talk about blue or red, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a moment in the universe's history when the light left over from the Big Bang. Was in the optical range yeah. that human beings could see. So mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when it was. Do you know, Charles, like a million, billion? Uh, million, wait, wait, what, right? what moment are you talking about? But, uh, when the, mic, when the, light microwave, when background the microwave, microwave background was not microwave, but was optical. Yeah. So oh, no, it was words, formed.
0: It was 3,000-degree uh, glowing. Right, plasma. so there's
5: a time between then and now right. that it passed through the optical. That's right. So, yeah. so there would have been a time where there was no night sky.
2: Uh, well, 3,000
5: we 3, Kelvin
2: is already infrared, so it had to be before. Yeah, so yeah like no, we 6, got 6,000 Kelvin. Yeah, yeah 2000, it so it's super
5: 7. early. Yeah. Super it's early It's less than oh, 1, right. yeah. This yeah. is
3: really what they do.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: seriously. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, that's why I just sat here. I'm like, I'm going to let this keep <laughs> <I'm>
2: going.
3: <gonna>, <laughs> <know, truck, next laughs> here, here we go. Uh, all right. This is from Lamis Piso on Instagram. I'm sure that's not how that person pronounces their own damn name. I'm sure they don't either, but guess what? Your name is now Lamis (laughs) Pissu. Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) Where is all the
0: antimatter?
5: And why do we think it was created with the Big Bang?
0: Oh, Janet, give me some of that. That's a good one. Oh,
5: this is beautiful, because the fact that the universe is made of matter is a fluke. We could very well have had an entirely antimatter universe, but what was more likely is that there were equal proportions of matter and antimatter. And when matter and antimatter get together, they genuinely annihilate into light, and there's nothing left but light. So the real question isn't is it matter or antimatter, but why isn't it perfectly equal proportions?
0: And the why is there any matter at all?
5: Right. Why is there any excess of either? It happens to be matter. It but just doesn't matter. Uh, so it's crazy. Matter, it's tiny. Matter. It requires a tiny, tiny asymmetry in the very early universe to allow us to have galaxies and planets and stars. And this is something that is still debated. I mean, this is why we still have jobs. We don't know the <laughs> answer to that question.
0: So a mismatch of matter and antimatter. Yeah, we and, don't know why and you have this that excess, asymmetry exists. The excess is everything we know and love as matter.
5: That's right. And, and it, you would think by rights that the universe would be created in equal proportions, that symmetry is favored, and so that there would be nothing.
3: I hate science. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Talk from the American Museum of Natural History. And we're talking about the portrayal of science and scientists on the TV show, The Big Bang Theory.
4: Let's check it out. It's always a challenge to tell stories about flawed characters and respond to a hope that all characters be portrayed without flaws. When you talk about a difference say in Penny's experiences as a sexual human being and Leonard's experiences as a sexual human being. One of the things that we said about these people is that Penny was more social and Leonard was less social. And it's kind of a mathematical truth that people who are more social have more opportunities for sexual experiences than people who are less social. The, I, I will defend the portrayal of Leonard and his sexuality with this pathetic explanation, which is for the first season, Leonard's sexual history was my sexual history. <laughs> his okay. awful. Can we cut there. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm just. I'm just going to say his okay. his awful. I brought. You know, we all bring it to our writing, especially writing comedy. We bring the pain of our own personal lives. And there's no comedy without pain. There is right. no comedy without pain. And Leonard's misbegotten inability to function with women, and and specific episodes from from my my, my sad <laughs> sad experiences, <laughs> I gave them in the first season to Leonard, and um, so. I I will say that if the audience takes issue with the portrayal of a nerdy guy as being inexperienced sexually and unsuccessful with women, then all I can say is, well, yeah, but I lived it. (laughs) 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 I don't know if that's a defense, (laughs) but it certainly is true.
0: So, Chuck, is there no comedy without pain? Is that a true, is that a true thing? Uh, did we all just laugh at his pain? <laughs> oh, I guess so. so. So you agree? Yeah. Okay. N-
3: nobody wants to hear anything. Uh, there's, Hey, my life is great.
0: That's not funny. That's not funny. Yeah. Okay. So, Jana, is, would you... I mean, it's, it's a <laughs> sitcom... am
5: nervous. No, no. <laughs>
0: no, we got you here.
5: About this line of reasoning. I don't know. So,
0: it's a sitcom, and they're fictional characters. Mm-hmm. But do you... Do you feel, I mean, you emanate from a nerd community, (laughs) a a nerd culture, I should say, Mm -hmm. then. Do you see it as an unfair treatment of the geek set that they're portraying nerdy scientists who are socially awkward?
5: I don't think it's terribly interesting if everything we do is incredibly balanced and has a perfect, you know, that's anodyne. And it is fun sometimes to focus on the disastrous extrapolation of the extreme, and and it amuses us because I think we all see a little bit of ourselves in it. We'd like to think we're not, you know, emblematic of that particular extreme, but we see a little bit of ourselves in
0: right. it. Right, it's, it's, it's a taste of Just as the writer it. did, yeah. Just enough and, to say, whoa, that's a little hitting home, a little too, yeah. and in fact, for him, it was hitting home exactly yeah. for Bill Brady. Right,
5: but that's the role of fiction, too, to, to allow us to indulge in the extreme. That's right.
0: Well, up next, we release the inner geek in us all when Star Talk returns. Welcome back to Star Talk from the American Museum of Natural History, Hall of the Universe. We're talking about the mega hit TV show, The Big Bang Theory. I asked actor Simon Helberg why he thinks a show about geeky scientists is so popular let 's check it out.:
1: I think there are much more, many more closeted uh, geeks and scientists and and lovers of the universe than we might have expected because I, I think there are, there are times where we 'll we'll be rehearsing scenes, and we we'll we'll, 're actors, so we pretend to be smart, and we all think, what are we talking about what? and who or we will figure out kind of we 'll have to bend over backwards to understand the logic. And we think the audience will never get this, and we get out in front of the audience on a Tuesday night, and they're with us from the moment we start speaking. And they're laughing at all the yeah. expected places. Yeah. So we, you know, we truly are not smart and just play play geniuses on TV, or or it's just it, the subculture is not so much a subculture as it is the it is the culture. It's just been kind of hidden or or just untapped. I, I do I do believe I do believe that. It was, it was just an untapped, beautiful thing sitting there, and we came along and- A ripe fruit. A ripened fruit that yes. we have sp- splattered across the world. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Charles, do you think geek culture has become geek chic? I'll take it one step further and say, geek culture has always been the culture. Have you ever imagined whether Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci were cool kids? They probably weren't. But today, that's all we talk about when we think about the Renaissance or the beautiful works of art or the amazing discoveries of the past. So the answer is yes. Geek culture is the culture and it always will be the geek culture. So let me ask the two of you,
0: each of you, what advice would you give to shy geeks who are either in the closet or otherwise sort of suppressing their inner geekitude? (laughs) It gets better.
5: (laughs) The questioning. (laughs) Um, I think that we're acknowledging that there's something really beautiful in people who are intensely focused on something they're profoundly curious about. And that lack of a filter, you know, the awkwardness of these characters, a lot of it is just the filter. There's no false front Right? right, they just are there's, right. There's no facade. There's no facade, and there's something about that that's incredibly lovable. So here, are the, all these people watching this and loving these characters, I think the advice is, you know, having no false front is lovable. Go for it.
0: <laughs> well, another lead character on The Big Bang Theory is a scientist played by actress Miam Bialik, and she's also a scientist in real life and a former guest on Star Talk. She's a neuroscientist professionally. And this is a fictional character but who happens to be a real scientist. That's just a a curious fact. I'm wondering, Janet, were you influenced by any fictional role models?
5: You know, I I don't think I was that much. I I wish there were... Better fictional role models that I either knew about or had easy access to. I think I was very influenced by real scientists. And I and it took me a while to know. I mean, we, we talked about Carl Sagan. You and I have talked about this before. I mean, it sounds really corny, but I used to love to talk to my dad about Carl Sagan. And we would make fun of the way he spoke. We make fun of the way he said billions. And but billion, you know, billion, but it was, billions. He, billions. Billion. But but it was this billion. it was this affectionate. Teasing, we were totally consumed by it. And we used to read his books together. But I I swear to you, it never occurred to me at any time as a child, even then, that I would be a scientist. It it came later. I I didn't (laughs) self-identify.
0: Later, like when? College. College? Yeah. Yeah. Late yeah. bloomer! Oh my God!
5: Yeah, yeah. I was midway through college, and when I discovered physics, it was answering these tremendous questions, and it felt transcendent. It felt true for everybody, and that it, it wasn't—it it felt true for somebody in a remote part of the planet in a remote part of the world. Now you Move got me, me worried
0: that there might be others who didn't have that revelation who could sure. have been great physicists as you have become. Sh- who, who, I, who, have, who are we missing? Yeah, now, I now, think about that me, a
5: lot. Who are we? Now we miss- you're
0: bumming me out. <laughs> <am I> <laughs> So, Charles, do you think the pop culture presence of The Big Bang Theory is
2: helping people release their inner geeks? Like it's a, it's an enabling force. Absolutely, it's helping to break that stereotype. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's long since time, yeah, yeah. for that stereotype Complete. to break. Athletes can be smart, mm-hmm. priests can be scientific, mm-hmm. and scientists can be open, happy, and sexy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How did did you get that that priests can be scientists? How did you get
2: that one? (laughs) The person who taught me theoretical cosmology in graduate school is a Jesuit priest. Okay. He was thinking about. A Jesuit priest. Yeah. Yeah. Not just any priest. But a priest nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Not just any priest. Okay. That's the academic order of the I was going to say, the
3: Jesuits Church. are the ones who yeah. love science. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesuits okay. are like no, the science the, badasses. The Jesuit the, priest. Yeah. And,
2: and he was discovering and working seriously, mathematically, understanding the origins of the universe. And he was doing it perhaps to reveal the greater glory of whom he believed was God. But nevertheless, he was very much scientific. Yeah, motivation actually doesn't matter That's as long right. as you're,
0: you are driven to... be curious and And to solve the problem. And he
2: really helped me learn a lot and understand a lot about cosmology. So I have no problem with that.
0: So Chuck, do you think shows like The Big Bang Theory will uh, improve the urge for people to want to hang out with scientists? No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I'm (laughs) out
0: of here. So in this final clip, I ask Big Bang Theory co-creator Bill Prady if making science more popular was his goal all along. Check it out.
4: Our goal wasn't to promote science. Our goal wasn't to promote NASA. Our goal wasn't to promote physics. We're in the silliness business. Our goal was to present you know, 30 minutes of comedy that you would come back to and laugh and enjoy. But because we put these guys in the world of physics, one of the things we've come to learn about over the last decade is an increase in the number of people choosing the hard sciences Uh, uh, vocationally. And um, for a lot of people, they pointed to the Big Bang Theory saying, I didn't know that science class, which I enjoy in school, I didn't know that's actually a job you can have in life. And uh, an, an unintended thing, but kind of a wonderful thing.
0: You know, I'm old enough to remember when there was a scientist on television or especially in a movie. I'm going back decades now, many decades. Who was that person? It was a person usually with wiry hair, lab coat behind a slab. And the main characters who you actually cared about might have to get some answer from that scientist. Is the radiation safe? Or is the giant bug going to kill us all. So they'll run into the room, speak to the scientists. The scientists say, everything will be okay, just do this. They'll say, thanks, doc. And then they move on and the camera follows the main characters leaving the doctor behind. Leaving the scientist without any other kind of developed character. You would never know and as, as, as a result, you would never even care. Is that scientist married? Does the scientist have children? Are they sad that day? Are they in love? All the emotions that were handed to everybody else in a story. So I, for one, am delighted, even proud, to live in a moment where the number one show on television was about scientists, though they be caricatures. And I don't even care if a movie gets some science wrong. It's got science in it at all. It's got people talking about the science. Because science is mainstreaming. There are artists reaching out to scientists to have science infuse their creativity. There are people recognizing that scientists might know some stuff that might prolong your life, that might produce wealth, that could bring security to this nation and to the world. And so scientists can be major figures in sitcoms, in movies, and in real life. This has been a Cosmic Perspective from Star Trek. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Join me in thanking once again, Chuck Nice, Charles Lou, Jenna Levin. As always, I
5: bid you to keep looking up.